Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout. Today we have, uh, he's become a good friend of mine through another little uh, video group that we have, but David Perez, uh, he's a 20 year police veteran uh, from New Jersey, uh, did his time and then has gone through some stuff towards the end, uh, which he's going to tell us about today. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, he's got a lot of really cool stuff behind him. If you're watching the video, really have a look at that. It's uh, every time I talk, I talk to him, it's um, I'm always going, what's behind him? Um, but anyways, getting, we digress. So Dave, as usual, why don't we let you take it away? Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us about your experience with burnout. And because um, I know with law enforcement, as I've talked to many people and experienced myself, it, uh, it's the best job in the world, but it's also the hardest job in the world. Um, and so uh, why, don't you yeah, why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. First, thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, it's uh, an honor to be with you. And, and you know, I love the way we met and um, which we can get back into you know, a little bit towards the end. Um, but yeah, so I was a retired police officer. I am a retired police officer with 20 years of experience at East Windsor Police Department. Um, prior to that, I was a volunteer EMT. I started when I was 14 years old, um, which came out of honestly my parents' divorce. Like I needed something to, to focus on uh, in, the, in that process. So I joined the rescue squad and became an EMT. Um, and then I have a total of 30 years of experience with the emergency services from the time I was 14 up until the time I was 44 when I retired as a police officer. Uh, in that time frame between um, the EMS side and the police side, I was in college at Hofstra University in Long Island. And uh, I did a one-year internship with the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. And I learned more in that one year than I did at any other point in my life combined. It was uh, unbelievable experience. Um, but I also think that's where uh, there's some deep-seated issues that you know potentially I didn't recognize at the time that you know certainly come back and I think about things from 22 years ago now. Yeah. Um, but it was it was, a, it was an awesome experience, and you know it's uh, when I look back on all of that, um, there's I don't think there's one specific incident that reigns uh, supreme as far as you know what affects me now. It's you know, death by a thousand cuts as we've talked about before and. Um, Yep. It builds up over time. Uh, and so at the end of my police career, it was, which was my last day was December 31st of 2019, um, I just recognized it was time to go. You know, it's, uh, I wanted to close that chapter. I was tired of missing family milestones. Mm -hmm. I was tired of missing school events and youth sports. And um, it, it, was, it was recognizable to me that I need to close the chapter and start a new one. Um, I was angry, short-tempered. Um, I felt like a failing husband, an absent dad. And, you know, my father was absent most of my life. And I knew from those experiences who I didn't want to be. Yep. And unfortunately, I felt like I was slipping into some of those, those trends that failed me as a child. And uh, I, it was, I recognized that, there, that it was time to move on to a new, to a new chapter. Um, and then towards the end of my career, I found myself not living up to my oath. Um, and that's a big thing for me. You know, uh, I was never in the military, but, you know, the Navy SEALs have the trident and um, that trident goes well beyond their service in the SEALs. Um, and they have to live up to, to their oath to, to hold on to that trident for the rest of their life. And I feel that same way about police badges. Um, we take an oath as police officers and you have to earn your badge every day. And not that I wasn't earning it. Um, I just felt like that was starting to slip away from me. And uh, I was getting lazy. Um, I was getting sloppy. And I, I just recognized that the risk to my own safety, but more importantly, the safety of my brothers and sisters to the left and the right of me were at, was at risk because I, I was done. And uh, I just, it was time to move on. Um, I love being a cop. Like you said, it's the best job in the world. Um, Loved every moment of it. I, I love the responsibility. I love the platform that we had in the community to do good for the for the folks that you are serving. Um, but my heart was starting to lose engagement, and uh, my mindfulness wasn't always present. Um, which you know, I'll, I'll get back into in a second. Which is actually how we, you don't even know the story. It's how I ended up knowing you was through the whole mindfulness word and conversation. I had reached out to. Um, John McCaskill, who's a retired Navy SEAL, um, uh, he, he does a lot of mindfulness stuff as well. And uh, he was like, man, I know nothing about cops. You guys are a different group. 
uh, I was like, crap. Because I wanted to bring that whole mindfulness thing to the police world. That, that's and, that's uh, interesting that a Navy SEAL is saying that. Yeah. He's like, you guys are in a different class, man. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, because um, we as so, cops, we look up to like, I know even myself being, you know, an American, you know, I don't live in, in the U.S. anymore, but we always look up to the Navy SEALs and go, fuck, those guys are badasses. Like, yeah, I could yeah and he's like he was like hands up i got nothing for you buddy um so he had introduced me to sarah carell uh who you also know through the power of our story and then that's how you and i met uh was through her group so um yeah the whole mindfulness thing i didn't realize it then um but after talking with john and after all these months now with sarah and and introducing all the different players um, that she's brought together including yourself like i realized wow I really screwed that up towards the end and I, I or my partners really could have gotten hurt because I was fucked up. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so I worked in a small agency and that was actually part of the problem. We were down to 40 cops. Um, there was 50 when I started in 1999. We were down to 40 when I left in 2019. Uh, so that's what a 20% decrease, 25% decrease in um, the resident uh, population had tripled in that time period. The commercial uh, district had grown significantly. Uh, it's a very culturally evolving community. Um, I, I was born and raised in that town, so it, which is uh, a blessing and a curse in and of itself. Uh, you know, working in the same place you grew up is kind of crazy. You're, you get to help people that you care for, but you are also so present with the, the shitums that you're dealing with too, that you want, you know, that didn't turn out well and you're like yo bro hook me up i'm like eh, how do you you know it's weird but the um yeah so that and i don't like talking about or getting into you know race and dynamics stuff like that especially in a form like this but just as a uh context point when i grew up in that town it was 98 percent white um it converted into about 20 percent uh to 25 percent african-american throughout my young adulthood and into uh, starting to be a cop there. And now I just saw a statistic today, actually for the purpose of this conversation, 21% primary English speaking in the schools. Um, so it's wow. a very Hispanic community now, yeah. um, mostly uh, Guatemalan Ecuadorian immigrants um, that have gotten transferred up from wherever. Um, but yeah, so the, that's only in the course of like 20 to 25 years, that yeah. the town has really had these massive transformations. So uh, to lose the manpower that we lost over the course of that time, yeah. it was it was, it was tough on the agency, tough on the cops, but uh, it was, it's an interesting place for sure. Uh, and the internal politics there, you know, it's very cutthroat and most agencies are. Um, I didn't play the politics game. I just wanted to be a cop. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I lost out on several opportunities throughout the course of my career because I didn't play the politics game. And, uh, you know, by the end, I realized that my professional journey was stagnant yeah. and um, it was not going to change. Mm. So... Yeah, that was part of the burnout process. Yeah. Um, I was a street cop for 20 years. Uh, you know, a couple uh, assignments here and there, but I was a street cop for 20 years. And it gets old, man. It's, uh, it wears down on you. It's a young kid's game. And yeah. uh, Well, there's that, but then there's all the mental side of stuff as well that kind of puts the pressure on you. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a definitely a hard, hard one on the street. You know, being on the street so long, I've got a buddy of mine who's pretty much on the street. He has beat squatting. He's been doing it for 10 years. He's been on the street. And, um, but he's managed to be able to find his purpose within it. And that's like literally training up the new guys and he's known for it awesome. in his department and his area. And, um, but yeah, no, it does, it does take a toll, especially, you know, 20 years is a long time, especially when you're getting, you know, um, yeah, you know, you think about military after 20 years and, you know, they're not even on deployment that whole 20 years, but we're on, you know, cops are on deployment as such every single day. Um, 40 hours a week if not more and with overtime yeah, you know and yeah it definitely wears on you after a while um yeah so that's why you know january 1st i, I 2020 i decided to hang it up walked away i believe in my choice to have walked away and i'm proud of my decision i'm c content with it um and the first 30 days were like certainly a honeymoon like up through february you know beginning of february it's like wow it's just like an extended vacation i haven't had in 20 years um and it was super cool and, you know, getting up every morning with the kids and whatever else. Um, but all of a sudden, and nobody told me this was coming, but apparently it happens and everybody seems to know it. The nightmare started, the, the flashback started. I found myself pacing the house at night. I found myself doing perimeter checks. 
um, like some like weird stuff. Yep. And um, I wake up screaming in the middle of the night. My wife would shake me like, what's going on? Uh, I couldn't sleep. Um, and then, of course, when you can't sleep, you make the, the worst decisions, the most of which is probably drinking too much. Um, I certainly went down that route. Um, and, you know, that solves the problem for about the first 15 minutes. Um, but then, it, you know, the anxiety. It comes, back with it. it comes back like Mike Tyson punching in the face. We're not kidding. Man. That's terrible. Um, and I was never a big drinker and, but I just found it to like calm my anxiety, like as in the short term, yeah. you know, like you said, the, the Mike Tyson effect and makes it twice as bad, you know, coming back in the next couple of days. But, um, yeah, I just found myself unraveling like, you know, February through March and then COVID hits, um, which was like this weird thing, you know, and what's the strangest part about all like the COVID stuff was, and, I, you know, it's the first time I've really said it in public, people probably gonna get pissed off at me, but um, I was happy about it in a weird <laughs> way, like, because I, I had felt so isolated. I was starting to feel isolated. I was starting to feel like weirded out about things. And um, I just, my retirement left me feeling like naked and, you know, vulnerable and lost and alone. Um, but when everybody started isolating themselves because of COVID, and the world slowed down and almost came to a screeching halt. I was secretly enjoying that because it, I felt like it gave me a chance to catch up. So tell me, tell me this. I want to touch base on that real quick because I, I know some people felt you know the same way as you. It was like, oh my god, a relief. Yeah. As an ex-cop and coming just coming out of retirement because I know, like for me, I started working on myself before I even hit that button to you know resign. Uh, but it was still one of the hardest days that I had. I was in tears writing the res resignation letter. Uh, I had conversations with my wife and I was, in, I was like, I'm failing myself, all these different things. But you know, you were at a stage where you're like, okay, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good to go. But okay, so you're going through this stuff. The PTSD obviously starts to really kick in. <clears throat> my, my looking at it and from doing the, you know, the work that I've done and the work that I do is all of a sudden you, you, you let that armor down. <laughs> So it was like, but then, but then COVID hits everybody, the threat level drops. Yep. Cause nobody, you know, nobody's running around. So it's like, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I don't need this armor up because there's nobody around. I don't have yep. that, that, that. I know here in Auckland, like, you know, biggest city in New Zealand, the buzz was gone. That energy buzz that you can feel. And I can only imagine what it's like in New Jersey, that buzz. I was like, there's no buzz. This is actually yep. calming. <laughs> hundred percent. I'm a cyclist and a runner. So like, I, I'd, I'd go out, you know, the first couple of weeks, this whole COVID thing where people were literally hunkering in their basements, like it was a freaking tornado or something coming. And I'm out riding my bike and running around. It was the most peaceful experience. There was nobody around. How did that help you get through all that? Uh, you know, the flashbacks and that. Um, I can't say that it did. Um, but it was, the calming effect of life having halted around me, like I said, it, it allowed me to get a chance to catch up. Yeah. Um, the, the flashbacks and the, the, the sleeping issues and the nightmares, whatever, honestly, that came to a slow stop. I, I don't even say stop, but it slowed down after I started talking about it. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, linked up with Sarah Carell and her group, The Power of Our Story, probably uh, late February, early March. Mm. And um, just listening to everybody that was part of that and talking to them, it gave me the courage to talk to my friends, especially my retired friends, and, uh, and hear what they were going through and recently retired as well. Um, I walked away with uh, one of my closest friends from work at the same time, and uh, he, he was struggling as well. But then we talking about it made such a huge difference and then uh, one of my best friends and my, my partners from work uh, I talked to him you know a couple times a week we golf a couple times a year together we do car shows together that kind of stuff uh, I, just sharing stories of years gone by the good ones or bad just talking about it out loud and then you know reminiscing and it, it was honestly that's what quieted my head um and then the next piece that I added to that was writing. So anybody that's struggling and you have like this scrambled eggs thing going on in your head and, you know, you, you just can't get the omelet together to put it on the plate. Um, 
writing for me was so cathartic and it took all of that crazy inside my head and allowed it to live somewhere else, which was, you know, my computer screen or a piece of paper. Yeah. And um, I still had it. I could re I can still reflect on it. I know it's there. The stories are still available to me. They're not, they're just not stuck in my head, cramming up space for the things that are productive. Um, and for me that, that, that was the hugest piece. Cause I realized like at night I, I was just, I, I couldn't stop the thoughts. I couldn't stop the stories in my head. And I would literally just start jotting down notes and those notes turned into articles. Um, and, you know, I truly feel that someday those articles will turn into a book. I'm just not there yet. Yeah. Uh, but writing was unbelievable. And then talking about it, you know, just, well, everybody says, you know, I, I hate hashtags, by the way, I, while I troll Facebook, like everybody else, or, you know, LinkedIn, whatever, uh, social media drives me insane. And yeah, like, you can hashtag anything and whatever. But the truth is like, the, you know, the hashtag stop the stigma that everybody puts on, you know, things related to mental health. It, while it seems corny on the internet, it, it's the truth that the idea of stopping the stigma of mental health issues, it's an injury. Yeah. Uh, whether it's post-traumatic stress, whether it's, um, you know, anything that you've occurred in your life that, that bothers you, uh, mental health is an injury. And I reflect on, you know, most recently on the Simone Biles conversation and yeah. I wrote about that. And, um, if she had broken her leg, everybody went, oh, poor Simone and not thought twice about it, but she literally had a mental breakdown of sorts, um, learning more about it. You know, she had something called the twisties or whatever. Um, but, uh, her head was jumbled with stuff that shouldn't be there because of her mental health issues. And she had to walk away for her own safety and for the benefit of her team. It's, it's, and that, that's, that's, you know, you're, you're very right here. You know, the mental health side of stuff, you know, people don't see it as an injury. You know, they're starting to, which is really good because, you know, it's getting talked about more, but exactly that, you know, she's, she's performing at the high level. It'd be like telling a Navy SEAL to, uh, you know, to, to not talk about his stuff or as, a, as us cops, we're constantly, you know, there has been that thing. Don't talk about the stuff. Just, just move over it, you know, build a bridge and get over it. Um, but what that does is it then makes you make bad decisions. It makes you not perform at the highest level. It makes you get burned out. And in turn, you never performing at your peak, like you recognized at the end, which actually I wanted to ask you, how did you recognize that you were actually, that all of this stuff was going on? You're like, I'm not doing this. What was it that, you know, was there a specific thing or was it just all, you know, what, what tell us a little bit about that because I know so, that's a hard one for people. As I realized I was struggling, you know, my wife and I weren't getting along the way we should. My kids were like rolling their eyes at me. Um, and I, I just became distant. And, you know, somebody said a, a few weeks ago uh, when I was having this conversation with them, they said they forgot how to love. Mm. And um, I was like, wow, I was there. Like I forgot how to love, not only myself, but the people around me. And then, but and if you can't love yourself, how do you love the people around you? Like it's a, it's this chicken and egg thing, right? Yep. Um, so I started to claw my way back uh, through coming out of that dark hole. And I thought I was doing really good. Uh, January 29th though, of 2020, my buddy Danny killed himself, uh, died by suicide and Danny was this larger than life figure. He was a police officer here in Trenton, New Jersey. And um, he was going through this thing of betrayal. Um, his, he was feeling betrayed by his family. He was feeling betrayed by his department. Uh, he was feeling betrayed by the community of Trenton that he cared so much about. This is you know, in the heart of the, the riots from last summer here in this country. And you know, Trenton had a, a pretty violent couple of weeks um, that were consistent with everything that everybody saw in the news. Um, and he was feeling betrayed. I saw him struggling. Uh, we talked a lot about it. And uh, on a Sunday night, I had spoken to him. And uh, so it was like two days, a day or two before uh, he passed. And I was like, dude, let's just go out Friday night. Let's have a good times, two of us get together, we'll blow off some steam. And let's see if we can clear some of this crap out of your head. Um, Tuesday morning prior to that. So between the Sunday that I talked to him and the Friday that we're supposed to go out. It was Tuesday morning. I was out riding my bicycle. It was six o'clock in the morning and my phone rings. It was my buddy, Sean. I'm like, eh, something's not right. He, Sean's also uh, a cop here in the same County that I worked in different agency. When a cop, called, when, like, a, when a cop buddy calls you at 6am, you know, something's not good. Not good. Nothing's good. 
So he's like, so I pulled over on my bike. I'm like, oh crap, what happened? And uh, he goes, you all right? I'm fine. What, what are you talking about? Why would you ask for my right? He goes, are you safe? I was like, dude, what's going on? Like, this is weird. He's like, Danny just killed himself. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I, I lost it. Just, I broke down, lost it. I, I was able to like limp my bike back home. Thankfully, I was like a mile or two into my ride. And I was able, I, and I had never felt so dark and so helpless and so sad about anything in my entire life. And I've lost, I've lost my parents at a younger age. Like, so, like there's definitely been loss in my life, but this one, it just broke my heart. My kids are friends with his kids. Uh, he lives up the street from me. So our kids go to school together. And, um, but there was something different about this, this time. And it was that moment that I realized that I will never allow myself to, to be in a position to get one of those phone calls again. I will do everything in my power going forward from that moment yeah. to help anybody at any point at any time any police officer military folks anybody that's struggling i don't want another one of those six o'clock in the morning phone calls I, I can't do it so um you know that's when i started reaching out to other folks it's when i started um understanding that that we as a community whether it's a law enforcement community or law enforcement support community because being retired, you're a little bit disconnected, even though you know the world still sees you in that circle. Yeah. Part of you is really not. Yeah. Um, Part of you doesn't want to be as well, I find. Exactly. Like, like when people refer to you as a police officer, you're like, no, I'm not anymore. Like, you, you, yeah, retired. Officer, but you still, yeah, you, yeah, you as that, that, that comment will always bleed blue. It is, it is yep. true, especially somebody that is very passionate about the, what they do. So just, just confirming, that was like a week after you retired. Uh, no, that was, so I retired January 1st, 2020. Uh, Danny killed himself July 29th oh, okay. of 2020. So it's about yeah, seven um, months later. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and so I reached out to my buddy, Mike, who was the, uh, Michael was the, re, uh, the resiliency officer for the county, yeah. um, which is a new program that we had here in New Jersey, which is probably two podcasts worth full of information beyond. Um, and uh I met up with him and we talked and he's, he's also a retired cop from a, a different town in the county I live in. And he's like, man, you and a gazillion other people locally here, you're all in the same place. I want you specifically to come to this training program. It's called the resiliency program officer training um, that the county was putting on. It was literally the next week. Um, he's like, I think you would be perfect for that opportunity. I think it'll help you, but I think you'll be in a position then to be help helping others. So it, the RPO program was fantastic. It, it teaches cops how to live a resilient lifestyle. Mm. Um, it's the whole, uh, you, have, you know, boom in the center. You have a pre-boom and post-boom. Yeah. And uh, the resiliency lifestyle is hopefully pre-boom. Yeah. And uh, if you can avoid people from getting to that, that dark place where bad decisions can happen, yeah. um, that's the whole point of the program. So uh, once they get to that place, obviously there's medical services that you can and should refer them to. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea of being in this program to, to help people live a more resilient lifestyle, to not get to that dark place to begin with, um, was such an eye-opening opportunity experience for me. I loved it. Um, and, you know, hopefully be able to continue on that path and just help people. So it was Danny's passion that realized, made me realize I need to get my shit together because I want to be able to help other people so they can get their shit together. That's awesome, man. That's, that's awesome. And you know, it's what I've been doing and what I still do uh, is help people in that prevention. You know, I think of it as, you know, we always wait till we're at the ambulance off the edge of the cliff, you know, why not stop that, try and stop them before they even climb up the hill, you know, Agreed. Um, it's one of those things. Let's be the gatekeeper at the bottom of the hill before they even climb up it or give them the tools so that as they go up the hill, they can pull themselves back down. So that, so Dave, what do you find now? You know, you've, you've been through a lot of different stuff, just like a lot of us have. Uh, you've done a lot of work on yourself. You've recognized things. Obviously, you recognize things when you're in. Um, what is it that you do now to, you know, or, you know, what is it that you did, the specific things that you find work the best uh, for those that are, you know, still where you were um, to, to overcome it and now still prevent it? So, uh the resiliency program shows uh, these six different pillars of things that ways you should live your life. Mm -hmm. um, and two of them have really resounded in my heart. 
Uh, one is, and I'm not a religious guy, so take put that aside for a second, but uh, counting your blessings yep. um, is so important. When you wake up in the morning, don't turn on the news. Don't you know, go right to your phone and, and check your social media. Wake up and the first thing you should be thinking about is what happened yesterday that I'm thankful for today? Mm. And you start the day off with those positive thoughts is, is just a, such a much better foundation than, you know, CNN or Fox News or, or whatever the, the local Twitter feed looks like. And um, it, to me, just starting positively is huge. Um, it just sets the tone. Um, but if you hear about, you know, crazy politics of wherever you are, it, it's first thing in the morning, you're, you're immediately soured for the day. And it doesn't matter what your politics are, because none of it's any good. Um, you know, so it's counting your blessings first thing in the morning and, and considering what good things you have as you go out throughout the day, I think is so important. Just recognizing the positives and don't dwell on the negatives. Um, and then one of the other pillars that for me is so important is exercise exhaust your body and your mind will clear itself. Um, and I'm a cyclist and I'm a runner. I, you know, I ride about, you know, over hundred miles a week and it's, it's where I do my best thinking quite frankly. And while I'm riding, I have my phone in front of me on a little, you know, on a phone stand on the front of my bike. And I'm like, wow, crap, that was a great idea. So I just hit record on my phone and like say a couple words to remind me of it later. And I'll write about it, you know? Um, but cycling for me and running too, you know, you get that endorphin high and it just clears your brain out and it makes you think clearly. Um, you know, I, my gym days aren't what they used to be at the age of, you know, 46, but um, I still enjoy it. You know, that was, why was the one positive, another positive about COVID? We ended up building a home gym because all the gyms closed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I could wake up at three in the morning and go, you know, throw some weights around if I yeah. wanted to, but. Uh, yeah, you know, exercise is huge. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny, because like, when I was in college, I was in the Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity, and which is, you know, college fraternities here are, are huge. And one of the big sayings was spirit healthy, body healthy. Yep. Um, my fraternity was big on on that. And it never really made sense to me as a, you know, 21 year old kid going to the bars four nights a week and trying to stay awake for class and pass enough where my mom didn't get pissed off, she was paying 40 grand a year for education. Um, but wow, what a profound statement, spirit, healthy, body, healthy. And you put those two together and they, they, they build off each other. And that's honestly, what's really gotten me to the point of just being happy all the time is being able to exhaust my body and clear my head at the same time. Um, and it's huge. I think it's, I think it's, it's a real important thing. You know, many, many people that I've, you know, interviewed in that it's about staying you know that positive mindset you know exercise is a huge one in there especially short you know they find short bursts actually help reduce cortisol levels and that as well um but you know i I, I talk about this a lot with you know with my clients and even i've talked a little bit about it here is you know exercise saved my life when i was when i was in the police and i was in my dark days because I would go and I throw I love weightlifting I've got some injuries because of it but I love weightlifting. Yep. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll run, I'll run. And when I decide I'm going to run, I enjoy it. But otherwise, if I'm not deciding I want to run, then I just don't do it. Weightlifting is my thing. And, uh, you know, yep. yesterday I burned 800 calories in 60 minutes weightlifting. So, you know, <laughs> I can, I can, be, I can destroy myself and it's not CrossFit. Um, <laughs> but, but I say, I say, you know, weightlifting and exercise saved my life. I think the key there though is, weightlifting saved my life because it was a way to burn things off but i wasn't doing it in a positive mindset and i think the two really go together because you can go in and throw weights around you can punch the punching bag try and get that anger out but if you're constantly focused on the negatives of life going around you it helps you for a short term but it doesn't actually help you for that long term you know that's that the strong spirits strong you know strong body if i got that right um, is, um, is very important because again, that positive thinking as well, if you're in that positive mindset, when you go to the gym, the gym's no longer a thing to release stuff. It's just a reinforcer and right. it just, it just builds you up even more. And you know, that positive mindset is so important. It's one thing that I hammer into people constantly because you can, you know, you take, for example, this whole COVID thing that's going on I and mean, everybody's afraid of everybody dying. Whereas if you're in a positive mindset and you're in this uplifting thing, yes, it's going to suck if a loved one dies. It always will. It does not matter. It'd suck if 7 
billion, you know, 700 million people died or whatever. The stats were 70 million. But at the same time, you'd be like, hey, there's good things that are coming out of this. We are creating, we're developing things. You know, that person's in a better space. Let's celebrate their life instead of, you know, being the negative. And I know we took that into a COVID dark place and there's lots of opinions around it all. But again, it's just staying in that positive mindset. COVID, 100%. like you said, a positive thing. It created a home gym for me. It brought my wife and I even closer together. It caused her to have, need less certainty in her life because all of a sudden she had no choice but to be uncertain about everything. Yep. <laughs> or, you, or you can look at it as my life's over, screw this, which sadly, there's lots of people that do that. So I think those two things, like you said, I just wanted to reinforce that for preventing and overcoming for law enforcement, for first responders, for everybody out there. You know, this podcast isn't just for first responders and that it's for everybody. It's such an important thing to just focus on those little positive things. It doesn't matter. You know, your, your dog could die. And I can tell you this, you'll find a positive, a positive outcome that you can find if you look for it. Yeah, there's light in every story. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's important to see it. And, you know, I, as we get closer to September 11th here, um, I'm hoping that, that that tragedy, that people can see some of the light that has come from that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was a, a 9-11 rescuer. So like I saw the darkest part was, of that. I was going to ask if you got involved without being in New Jersey and being a fresh yeah. cop. I mean, that's a whole story in and of itself as well. Like uh, I had worked midnights on the 10th yeah. um, and I'd gone home. I was living by myself uh, at the time. I, I was only about two years into working and two and a half years into my work. And um, I got a phone call just as I was falling asleep from my sister who was living in Virginia, uh, in uh, Charlottesville area. And she was like, yo, you have, the, you have the news on? I'm like, no, I just got off of midnight and I'm going to sleep. I, I, you knew that, like, why are you calling me? She's like, dude, you gotta turn the news on. I'm like, seriously, she said, turn the news on. And as uh, a cop, you're like, yeah, I don't wanna watch the news. That, exactly. <laughs> so I turn it on I'm like, yep. I, I was speechless. And she's like, are you all right? I'm like, I gotta go. Um, so I hung up the phone right back in my car, right back to work. And it's funny as my partner at the time, John, he, he and I hadn't talked in the morning. Um, you know, it was there are cordial goodbyes in the parking lot on the way out the door, you know? Yeah. And um, he and I pulled back into the parking lot at exactly the same time. We walked back into the station and everybody's like, what are you guys doing here? I'm like, what are we doing here? What are you doing here? Like, why is everybody in the building? And why is the TV not on? Like, why are we not, what, where's the plan? Like, what, like I was ready to go. Yeah. Um, I had my, gear bag and, and my go bag and, you know, my shoulder. And uh, the lieutenant was like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, what are we doing about freaking Twin Towers just collapsed? Like, what's the plan? He goes, why would we have a plan? Not our town, not our problem. And you should know where we are in New Jersey, we're 40 miles away from Manhattan. We're less than an hour's drive from Manhattan. Wow. Um, and so my buddy, his last name is uh, Bart Sack. I call him Bart. So me and Bart look at each other and we're like, all right, let's go. So hopped in, he got his go bag. I got mine. We dropped it, got in my car, drove up to Jersey City, took a fire boat, which was ferrying people back and forth from lower Manhattan to Jersey City and back. And we just went up as volunteers and spent a ton of time there. Um, hooked up with the folks that I knew from uh, my, taught my internship at the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. Yeah. Um, and my mentor in that one year actually turned out to be the go-to person for the medical examiner's office for 9-11. He's since written books. I mean, he, the guy is like uber famous and which is crazy. Um, but you know, just duty called and he was there and ready for it, you know? Um, but yes, yeah, so that was, I, I, I concern myself with the folks that are still struggling with that 20 years later. Mm. And I just hope that as we get closer to that date, and I'm sure, you know, the 20 year anniversary is going to be a lot of publicity over it, mm. um, that people can see the lightness that has come out of it. The, the children that have survived through this, um, that their parents were killed. And, you know, it's, uh, there were babies born that day and now they're 20 years old yeah. um, and living life and, you know, being productive members of society. And, and that's awesome. And we need to celebrate that because out of that darkest day comes a new generation of folks that are, are humans now and, you know, and, and productive yeah. adults. So let's celebrate that. Dave, real quick on that one, because you're actually one of the first, first responders that I've talked to that, that was there and went running, you know, again, this just shows you what first responders do. 
you know, you're off duty, you just came off a midnight shift. I don't know anybody out there who's worked a night shift knows what you feel like first thing in the morning. Like literally half the time, you don't know what you're hit by a fucking bus. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like you've been hit by a bus, but all of a sudden you're like, no, this is bigger than me. I need to go. And you start running towards it. You know, this is first responders for you, but I want to really, you know, and I think this will really help people out there, you know, recognize, you know, the positive side of thinking, like we've just been talking about for the last few minutes. What was it that you learned from that day that helped you grow into the man you are today? Wow, what an amazing question. Um, I think I learned a lot about myself. Mm. I learned a lot about what I was capable of. Um, and I also learned a lot about the selfishness of other people mm. um, when we walked into the building that day. You know, the whole not my building, not my bomb problem. Yeah. And uh, I was shocked by that. Um, so while I was disappointed with humanity on one le uh, multiple levels, obviously people crashing freaking airplanes into a building for the, the political purposes. Yeah. Um, but just the, the individual selfishness of a small town in New Jersey that felt that they wouldn't be impacted by that. Uh, when we had multiple people from our town in the trade center that day, you know, we were, we're bedroom community or were at that time, a lot of New York commuters. Um, but when I got there, you realize how small you are in a very big world. Um, but your littlest impact can be so huge. And you just learn how to just step up and be counted and be heard and just do the right thing for the right reasons. And it'll shake out properly every time. Um, just Sometimes you, you can't worry about what an arbitrary policy says because somebody thought it was a great idea at the time or an attorney wrote it who had no freaking clue what they were talking about, but thought they were the smartest person in the room at the time. Um, just doing the right things for the right reasons at the right time, you can never go wrong. And, I, and I've kind of taken that forward with me since that day. Uh, haven't always lived up to it. I try to, um, <laughs> but we're human and we make mistakes, you know? Um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing. And my, my, my partner, my buddy Bart, who I worked with him my entire 20 years, um, it made us closer than ever. We have that bond now with us for the rest of our lives that we will share. Um, and just knowing that you're connected to another human in a way that's not tangible, um, I think is just so special. And you try to recreate those opportunities, not recreate, but you try to embrace those opportunities when they're presented to you. And I think, and that, that goes on to just mental survival, right? We, we have to build that tribe of people around us that we can appreciate that, that love us the same way we love them. Uh, you don't always have to agree with somebody, but you have to have that level of respect and understanding between each other and just create those human bonds. Human bonds are everything. And that's, I think, what I take the most out of that experience is just understanding what's important. You know, papers, if you file the form in the wrong file cabinet, who gives a shit? You know, if because someday the building falls down, no one's looking for that piece of paper. Yeah. You know, like it's understanding what's important in the greater context of things and, and just making that human connection and appreciating each other. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Dave. Some really, really great words there. If you didn't quite catch that, rewind and re-listen. Um, so, Dave, that leads us into uh, my favorite question question as such is all about your why and I know I've talked about this before in Sarah's group when you know when we first kind of met in that but I'm a huge why guy I believe that everybody has a driving why from their childhood actually that drives them to do the what's of their life you know your what was a very long what but you had a couple similar ones and I know you're still doing that same you know it's on the same thing there's still still basis you know as I've said before in this you know in this forum here but also everywhere else my why is I want to create less pain in myself and others uh, you know, and I, you know, so my, what was, you know, first it was, you know, doing sailing stuff and making joy for people. And then it was, you know, I did some retail stuff. So I was always making people, you know, making it as easy as possible. And then I saw a train crash kind of, you could not to the same extreme, but it was a, a passenger train and a, and a commercial train in LA that collided together. And I saw the cops running towards it and making less pain. Now, obviously back then I didn't recognize this, but I was like, I want to be doing that because that looks like I'm making a difference. And yeah. so it created my what? Uh, so my mind, I know mine deeply, done a lot of work on it. What would you say yours is, Dave? Because, you know, your what's are very similar that you've done through life. Um, what would you say your why is? Um, 
my why is being able to be there for others to make other people's lives better. So very similar to yours. And I think you're going to find that theme um, consistent through first responders, especially in law enforcement. Um, You know, we both know some folks that got into law enforcement because they wanted to chase bad guys and, you know, and uh, throw them into jail and whatever. And that works for the first, you know, five minutes of your career uh, until you realize that's not a long-term plan. Uh, And for those that stick around, truly making people's lives better, having a positive impact on others. Um, And through that, I want to leave a positive legacy that my kids can be appreciative, that my kids can respect, look up to and have as a role model for their own selves um, as they develop and grow older. Um, You know, we're nothing as humans if we don't leave a positive legacy for those that that look up to us. Um, And my why as a, as a, small statement would be just making people other people's lives better yeah and uh true that gives me true gratification and validation um, that i was here you you can see it you can see it through everything that you've said today so far you know doing into you know doing the medical stuff first you know doing the same thing you know then law enforcement and then when you recognize that you weren't doing that that you started to go whoa whoa wait wait a second this isn't this isn't right i need to take a step back so that's that's a, that's amazing, Dave. It's awesome that you can actually fo- you can actually see it in that now as well. Because um, I my personal um, belief and from doing work and training lots of police officers to get in and into the force and that and doing lots of the m- mindset training with them prior to getting in is when they have that why they actually uh, stay focused on that longer and not so much on the political stuff as we've talked about as well within the police. Um, and I love that. I love that question. What is your why? And, and I'll the reason that that kind of resonates with me is my wife asks that question all the time. <laughs> and uh, she's a marketer. She was in marketing, you know, on the corporate side for 20 years. She has her you know, own uh, boutique marketing business now that she spans across a bunch of different uh, industries and companies. But the name of her company, not to plug it, but in the context of the conversation is the heart of why. Yeah. yeah. And that is how she focuses on helping other people's re- rebranding or you know uh, positioning stuff like that and so i've heard that for so long for you know about our 20 years together um so for you to ask that question is i love that connection that we now have that you didn't even know that was there um but that question is awesome it's something i've thought about you know because of her work and her context but yeah yeah, that's an awesome question i love the fact that you ask people that i think that's so special it's it's i I do honestly believe that it is it is what drives people to stay positive you know, and stay enjoying what they're 100%. doing, and staying focused on that and not the minuscule little negative things that are flying around. They, those don't matter. Your why matters. As long as, again, like you said, as long as, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're doing the right thing at the right time, you know, from the right place, you will do it. And if you're doing it from your why, there's no real, you know, because 99% of whys, I haven't come across a negative one yet. But 99% of them are in a positive light and are a, a good thing, are doing good. Um, I agree. Because that's, humans want to do good. We want to help each other out. It's because of circumstances and because of other things that get that traumas, to be perfectly honest, that happen. We end up doing bad things. Um, yeah. And that's how um, I try and always you know, tell people, you know, don't look at somebody as if they're good or bad. Look at them as in, hey, what have they gone through that's causing them to act the way that they are because at the end of the day we're born good (laughs) you know and because of circumstances we become who we are and and that so and it's all about the empathy yeah um and it's and i love looking at it from that construct and that perspective um very good friend of mine where he and i were talking about the george george floyd incident and um so every cop in the world will say nothing went right with that um there's nothing good about what that guy did not george floyd but uh the the officers nothing good the way he handled that it wasn't handled properly there's so many things that can be said on 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 all sides of that but the the bottom line is that that case that incident was not handled properly yeah everybody tried to turn it into a racial thing which i i don't believe that it was and a very close friend of mine who i do a lot of this um work with bridging the community and the police department um and we're trying to put together a program as you know at, at this time um, he happens to be black, which has nothing to do with it other than his context is different than mine being white. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, 
he said to me when he prayed on, he's very religious. So when he prayed on it, what he came to was there was a lack of empathy in that officer's eyes. And I was like, it's interesting. It's interesting that he said that because somebody, one of my clients, my police prep clients sent that video to our group or, you know, posted it, post about, I hadn't, you know, I don't superly look at the media and I watched that nine minute video and I sat there and I watched it. And I got about a minute and a half, two minutes into it. My wife was home and I went, this cop has nothing. He's gone through so much stuff. There is nothing there. Yep. He was actually, he has no idea what he's doing. He's just sitting there waiting for something. And at the time I was like, what is he waiting for? And obviously he was waiting for the ambulance to come so they could put him into it because he didn't want to get in the back of the car. But I'm sitting there going, one, what is he waiting for? But again, you're not there. So you don't know. You're not on the other side of the radio. And two, I was like, this guy, he's just wait. He's just sitting there blank. There's just lack of empathy, lack of anything going on inside his brain. Yeah. Um, And I think the the key from this conversation right now is to recognize within yourself, are you becoming empty in things that you used to not be empty in? Because this is, and again, focusing on that why of your life, because if you are feeling like, hey, there's times where I blank out and there's nothing there, start looking and, you know, start asking talking about it, start, you know, reaching out to people. You don't even have to reach out to people. You literally can talk to people and people will tell you what they've done in the past when they've been there. Uh, and that's, that's what I recognize my, you know, I could have done 20 years, uh, sorry, 25 years for a full pension. I decided to go at 20 for half, um, you know, for 50% instead of 65. Um, but I knew it was my time to go. And I knew that I was ready and I knew not that I would have been that guy on the news. Um, however, you just don't know if you're going to end up being that guy on the news, you know, when you break, you break and there's no way to know when that moment is going to happen. But if you can recognize that it's coming, it's time to go. Yeah. And uh, you can't be ashamed of it. You know, whether you did one week or 25 years or 30 years or more, you've done your time and and you did it for the right reasons. And you, you should, you know, honor yourself for having put yourself out for that service. Not that many people do. Yeah. And um, so again, you know, it's not the length of time, it's the quality of service you provided. So um, when you're ready, it's time. I agree. I agree with that one. Um, yeah. Many people say that. I remember I was, I was protecting the prime minister here and he did that. He's like, and, you know, I, I, I asked him or one of the guys asked him, he's like, Oh, why are you leaving now? And he goes, um, he goes, I'd rather leave on the top than leave, than, than, than be a little bit too long and leave on the bottom. Um, he's like, I've done my, I've done my time and I just, I've got other priorities now. And yep. we're like, it's, yeah, it's been awesome to serve you. Um, so, uh, Dave, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, maybe they want to reach out to you and actually, you know, maybe they need to talk to talk to somebody and you're the person, or maybe they want to, you know, get some of your services in that. How do they get in touch? Uh, so the best way, uh, if you want to hit up my website, www.64consultants.com and it's spelled out S I X the number four consultants.com. Um, I am doing, uh, a new chapter, you know, in the public safety space, but, uh, mostly drug work. Uh, helping businesses figure out the workplace impairment piece um, that we've come to need here, at least in New Jersey and so many other states throughout this country uh, with the changes in the cannabis laws and in other places. Uh, I also am you know, open to working with defense attorneys to uh, help them with their DUI cases, especially in the drug space. I was a drug guy most of my career. Yeah. And um, when you're looking at DUIs that are drug involved, there's a uh, I need to have an expert review those reports because the expert, the state has the experts. Yeah. Um, so once the experts retire, uh, they're certainly open to, to review the cases. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, going to the dark side as some of my friends would have said. Um, we're all, you know, the, what was said to me and I, and I love this was, we're all looking for justice. Um, if somebody makes a mistake, we're looking for justice. If it was a citizen that made a mistake and law enforcement catches that and goes to prosecute it um they get justice on that side but if a police officer makes a mistake in that process the defendant has the right Mm. to a due process and if there's a mistake and you have a former police officer that's an expert in a field that can make sure that justice is properly served you know i think we're all fighting the same battle um we're all fighting for the same cause it's just a matter of getting it right so yeah. that we have a system that holds itself together and, and doesn't become corrupt on either side. 
Yeah. So um, I love that. And so that's the work I've been doing. And if people want to get a hold of me, you know, my website is a great way. All my contact information, email, phone number, everything's on there. But yeah, anybody that's struggling wants to reach out. My phone's always on, man. Call me, yeah. talk, just be able to express yourself in some way um, and realize you're not alone because someone else has gone through it. The scenario may, may not be the same, but the emotions are. Yeah. Um, I, I love that, Dave. And we'll put all, we'll put those links that you sent me your email and your phone and your website. So I'll put those down in the, in the link, uh, in the comments or uh, well, the description down below as well of this uh, recording. Last question I have for you, uh, Dave, is what's your top tip to self-happiness? Uh, top tips to self-happiness is exercise your body to exercise your mind at the same time. Um, again, go back to that old fraternity quote of spirit healthy, body healthy, and um, just be appreciative for the things you have. Count your blessings. If you're married and have kids, that's your priority. Um, you got to come home safe to them every day, no matter what you're doing. And just make sure you make it to the baseball games, tuck them in at night, wake them up in the morning um, yeah. because you're, that's your legacy. You're, you're le when you walk out the door of whatever job you have, you are a number man, you're a number and they retire it and never to be used again. That goes along with your name. That goes along with the stories that goes along with anything you've done. Um, you're replaceable at work, but you're not replaceable at home. So enjoy your life, enjoy your family and spirit healthy, body healthy, and just count your blessings because starting the day off positive is, is so important. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, in, in other words, look after yourself, look after your family and then look after work um, as I constantly teach. Uh, no, I love that, Dave. Um, any last words before we uh, wrap up? Uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity of getting this time with you. And um, I think you write an, an awesome platform with your podcast and really helping people and uh, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you through uh, the channels that we've been connected and um, I wish I can come visit next week or whatever but you know <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little more difficult yeah. um, but next time I'm in New Zealand you'll certainly be my first phone call well that, that's uh, that's that's okay I still I still it's been on our bucket list to come to New York and stuff like that so I'll be hitting you up when we're coming yeah, back man, we, plenty of place for in the house for you to stay I'll be your local tour guide for sure Awesome, um, New York's awesome. And uh, yeah, no, man, thank you for, for hosting. Thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for your service to the uh, New Zealand community, man. It's uh, what a special experience, especially having, you know, been born and raised here. So it's uh, uh, super cool. And, you know, thank thanks, you. Thanks, man. And, 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 you know, obviously thanks for, thanks for your service as well. Thanks for everything. Thanks for sharing today. Uh, but on that guys, you know, for those listening and viewing, first off, make sure you share this around. You know, somebody will resonate with this. You know, I hear from people all the time. They're like, oh, that was so good. And, you know, it, just share it around so that people can actually hear it because you don't know who somebody's going to resonate more with. You know, I've been to, mul I was to multiple counselors in that over my years. And, you know, it took, it took one to actually figure out what was going on after like about four of them. So it just, you know, really share it around. Uh, and, also remember, you know, some really key things came out today, but I think the big key ones, as, as David said, you know, one, uh, you know, know your, know when your, your time is up and, you know, be, be content with stepping out. Uh, but two, the really main thing is stay positive, stay positive and take care of yourself, uh, as Dave said at the end. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, remember, you can always reach out to us at fight the burnout podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will do everything we can to, you know, just listen to touch base or put you in the right in the right direction with somebody that you need to that you need to talk to. Uh, but till next time, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we love you all.